Well, welcome to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Next to me is Shane Bishop. My name is Mike Wooten. We are happy to have you join us. This is where we talk all things in culture, leadership, and much more. We are here to help you navigate the changes that you're going through. We would love for you to subscribe and share our podcast and find, of course, Shane and I on social media. We are in episode 13, and we are in the second part of our conversation with Reverend Fred Bishop, Shane's father. Shane, how are you doing today as we start this back up? I'm really great, Mike. Yeah. Do you do you think episode 13, does that include the special No, actually, episodes? that would be—we we have two special episodes, so that takes us to 15 episodes, Shane. Yeah, and to think we've made it that long. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it, that we have made it to 15 episodes. But then I was thinking about it. What would really stop us? We have no sponsor. We, yeah. we don't really have care about ratings. No. So what would possibly stop us? How, how's this ever going to end is my big question for you, Mike. Are we stuck doing this forever? I don't think so. I, I think we'll end eventually. Uh, but as long as it interests us, I think that's what keeps us going. Maybe so. Maybe so. so. It's and obviously then, not the interest of others. No, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. Mike, we are in a, a lot of people probably think we're let, in a really sharp studio. Let them know, Shane. Yeah. Yeah, they probably think this is really a high-end thing, you know, that, that we're like sipping on $10 coffees and and stuff, and have chauffeurs. Yeah. And that's probably what they're thinking, came in, you know. But in reality, we're on the second floor of mm-hmm. the uh, Fairview Heights Campus Children's Wing. Yeah, like a sixth grade classroom? Yeah, or, no, no. Like maybe. it was just burglarized, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. or at least vandalized. There's stuff just everywhere. <laughs> yeah. We've got microphones at, but Mike, there is a brown cowboy hat on the floor in between the three of us. So what's that all about? Do you know? I have no idea. I thought you put it there. No. It kind of matches I your shoes. I don't own any cowboy. It does match my shoes, but I don't own any cowboy hats. You don't? Okay. You have you social? ever owned a cowboy hat is the question. I don't think so. Okay, Not never, that I recall. Huh? Now, Dad used to have a cowboy hat. Yes. Dad did. wore cowboy boots for years. For years. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ride horses? Oh, yes. He grew up riding ponies. Shetland ponies, which are like big German shepherds with a saddle. (laughs) Is that right? No saddle. No saddle. No, No, he he rode them bareback, just like people in in Shetland (laughs) 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 rode rode their ponies bareback. Okay. Now, speaking of cowboy hats, uh, Fred, you are a Cowboys, a f- Cowboy football fan as, as well, right? You love the Dallas Cowboys. Is that correct? If you go to school in Texas mm-hmm. and you have to work secularly and you stay there three years, mm-hmm. you will be a Dallas yes. Cowboy fan. Okay. Now, Dad, when you're down there, that's the pre-Roger Staubach. So we're talking Don Meredith into Craig Morton Cowboys? Dandy Don. Dandy Don Meredith. Yes. If he was if he was quarterbacking that Sunday, that Sunday, then the guy I worked with that I couldn't get away from, he would bet against the Cowboys because he hated Dandy Don. But if Craig was bad, so it just depends. And Staubach, when Staubach finally started doing it, then everybody in Texas was behind him. But Dandy Don didn't have the whole group behind him. All right. All right, well, we're going to continue our conversation with Fred. We've gone through some of his life, his call to ministry. Now we want to see some of the places and hear from some of the stories that he has for us. Well, Fred, you spent some time in East Berlin, is that correct? Yes. What was going on with that? When I left the pastorate with Shane and Jill and my wife, we moved to San Antonio because the guy that, that I had met before that I really saw God in who had a ministry, he was in San Antonio. So we moved to San Antonio also, which was um, a very interesting part because 
we thought we were fitting under his ministry and got down there and found out you were just, just roughing it. Well, do you remember we were roughing it, son? See, Mike, he had a ministry, but not a business plan. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there was okay. no business model to it. That's okay. correct. Yeah. So it was effective in reaching people. Definitely. It wasn't effective in... In, sus- in providing a living for families in any kind of sustainable way. Is yeah. that right? So, so when we got down there, we would meet together and, and pray together and all this kind of stuff. And then he says, you know, I really have a burden to go to the Communist Festival in Berlin. So first thing we did then, we memorized the gospel, and we would stand up and preach it and everything. And so then when the, there are three of us. Now, was this allowed in Berlin at the time for you oh, to, no. to go to? Okay. No. So some people, younger you know, listeners may it, not quite it, know that. It was that. the World Communist Youth Festival, which meant they were going to allow other countries to come in. So you're able to get in better if you can go to a world festival. So okay. what's your end game? I mean, what you go to this World Communist Youth Festival— to take Jesus there, what, what are you hoping to accomplish? Okay, we're going to find out where they're meeting, which they met in a place called Alexanderplatz in East Berlin, and it was just a big plot, and that way all the kids gathered there every night. So we would go there, and um, we, we would go up to a person and say, hey, what time is it? We'd, and they'd tell us what time it was. We didn't know what that meant. But then we'd say, ich komme aus, we come aus America, is where we're from, and we came here to tell you about Jesus. Well, these were, these were all youth, and so they were excited to find out we were from the United States. So then we decided we'd share with them and share a testimony, and then, man alive, we, were, we thought we were hot. And so we come <laughs> back the next night and said, I mean, we're ready to give our testimony. And that night they all sang, but they sang in English, and they sang, We Shall Overcome. And they did it to mock us. You know, deep in my heart, I believe we shall overcome one day. And so they sang all their different verses. We'll walk hand in hand. And then they didn't know it was a kind of a Christian song. So we joined them, and then we, we introduced another verse. We shall see his face. To see all those comments around there saying we shall see his face one day. Yeah. Well, the leaders weren't very excited. So the, we left thinking, man, we're really great. We came back the next night, but there was a rain. And when it rained, everybody split. And this one girl had on a thing that says, Jesus is the challenge of my life. And she invited us to go to an underground church meeting. So uh, we went to the underground church meeting. You know, you're quiet through the alleys and everything. And we met a guy there named Marion. He was a Catholic priest. And he says, God told me that if I would come to the communist festival, I would meet Jesus' people for the United States. And so that meant a lot to us. And so when we get back home, we think, man, live, we couldn't get Marion out of our minds. To us, it was the Macedonian call. So we got everything ready, left Fred home with you guys, and we take off for for, uh, Czechoslovakia. And so Sammy had a a handkerchief, and he gets he's coughing like that, and he's sneezing and everything, and he's just filling his handkerchief. And so he said, when we get over to Frankfurt, they'll pray for us, and God will heal me. Mm -hmm. No, they didn't. So we get on the train, and all of a sudden we get over, and they – they came on the train with this gun and everything, and so we were really in trouble. And they said, what's in your pockets? I remember I had my Bible in my pocket. But he pulled out his handkerchief like that, and they, ah! And so they let us go on through. Wow. So we made it through. Then when we get to Czechoslovakia and we meet Marion, uh, he said, I can't believe you guys are doing this. I said, what are you doing? I said, well, we get in this communist university, and we get out in the middle, and we knew five words in Czech. We know hallelujah, same word. 
Yezis Chami Louis, he loves you. Yezis Fosmi Louis, he loves everybody. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We sang that. Yezis Fosmi Louis, Yezis Fosmi Louis. So they are all the kids gather around and they said, Where do you come from? And said, Well, you should come out to America. And so the guy came in and he says, You're out of here. And so the kid says, You're probably going to go to prison. So we go back to our hotel and we take our luggage out, put it in another hotel and so on. And they said, We're going to have to hide you out. So there were some illegal nuns, and they took us in and put us in the attic. And there was a Catholic priest in the attic with me. And I said, man, I have a really neat song in German, but I says, uh, I can't show it to you because it's too dark. He said, that's not a problem. He pulled back one of the shake leaves on the, on the roof and was saying, Gottes Liebes für die Zona. And so we sang the song and everything, and that's, I met that Catholic priest there. So we lived through it, but... The communists were kind of pushing us, and so when we finally got out into Austria, uh, we got to where they made the sound of music, and we were up on the mountain, and when we got up on that mountain, I heard God saying, you know, you've done all these things, but you're going to die. And so I thought, man, you know, you know, I really didn't like it. So I got back home to Ducoin, and I went out in the cemetery, and just felt like, you know, you pick out your grave, you're going to die. And my, we, they had two graves there in the cemetery. And I got to one spot and I heard God clear the well saying, you're going to die, but not real. You're going to die to yourself. You're not going to do all this stuff. You're going to put the gospel in the hands of faithful men. No greater love was born in that place, in that cemetery. So that became a paradigm shift from you being a uh, kind of this international Bible smuggler, kind of James Bond for Jesus thing to now you're in another phase of life where God calls you to help equip others. And that's where things begin to multiply. And, the, and you know how they multiplied? <laughs> I've got all the basics that the youth leader taught me when I was a boy. And I've taught study, prayer, yeah. fellowship, and witness. Learn your, have a proverb a day and so on. Yeah. So I teach all these men that. I teach them the basics that you got to get your foundation straight. Now, we're going to go to Mardi Gras in New Orleans. So if your foundation's good and you get out there to share Christ, the big question, if you die now, you don't know where you go. If your foundation is good and you get out there and hear God, uh, you follow him. So we got one guy that's in Vietnam, another guy that's in Czech Republic and so on. And they all came out of, if you get your foundation solid, yeah. when you hear God, yeah. go with him. What I find fascinating, too, is you're following God, just being obedient. You have a call to ministry, no doubt. But it also shows through each step, you said that thing about dying to self. Dying you know, Christ, you know, sanctification, whatever you want to call it, God is doing a work mm -hmm. in you. And it's almost affirming to you're following him in terms of uh, he's getting you more like Christ. Your heart is changing every step of the way. And uh, so that I just find that really interesting. What's neat to me, there was a guy I heard of, he was a Baptist guy down in Florida, and he said, some people call it the baptism of the Spirit. Some people call it lordship. He said, I'd rather have it and not know what to call it, <laughs> as to know what to call it and not have it. Absolutely. So uh, where's Honduras in all this? Because I know some incredible okay. ministry happened in Honduras. Everything's back again to um, taking another step out with Ezekiel 47. Okay. So at one political convention uh, with Sammy, uh, he didn't go to the second one, but he had a guy named Leo Humphreys who went to that one. And come to find out, his ministry was basically in Honduras. And he was really good at it. Yeah. The trouble with it is he didn't like me. And, <laughs> and so uh, that became a problem. But a, a guy, another guy that I liked said, hey, come with me to Honduras. <laughs> come find out. Why he didn't was, he like you? He was, 
He was under the guy that I didn't like me because I was filled with the Holy Spirit. He said, you don't need that. I said, I admit you don't, but I do. You know, and I said, really, I've got more of a platform than you because most people can't identify with you. They can all identify with me. So I went to Honduras, and it was the easiest trip I've ever made because since he didn't like me, I didn't have any authority or responsibility. But we were in the hotel. In, have you been to San Pedro Sula? I have not. Oh. In San Pedro Sula in our hotel, we were out in the hall one night because I— yeah, we were supposed to work the prostitute section that night, and everything was going wrong. And so I said, hey, we said we just drop back. And he said, okay, let's just drop back. So we're sitting in the hall, and the nurse, the, all the maids came out, and they taught us a little song, like Jesus Loves Me, this I know, mm -hmm. only it's a labore, a labore. And so they taught us a little song. And, and Mike and Shane, that night, with those maids, the anointing of God came down, and so our anointing for Honduras took place in that hall, and once you have the anointing, you can go anywhere, and so we've been going to Honduras, I've taken hundreds of people, but it all came out of that hall. Now, your vision for doing ministry, or the vision God gave you, wasn't typical, typical to the uh, type of ministry that was being done in Honduras, is that correct? Oh, Did no. you have kind of a different yes. vision that God was giving you? Yeah. We use clowns. And, you know, I've got 150 clown suits. We clown the Indy 500, the Kentucky Derby, every country, Philippines, every place I've been. We get down there, and they just said, we don't like clowns. Well, then I don't work with you. So I went over, and I found the chief of police, and I said, hey. The, um, he said, I'm glad you came to our country. And I said, why? you got churches. He said, they don't go to the jails. They don't go to the hospitals. And he says, I'll make you out a little sheet here and to go into the schools. So now, <clears throat> so basically, we started out doing evangelism. We would do our clowns, give our four spiritual laws, do our different things. So we started out not working with churches because they didn't like us at first. But once they saw, the churches saw that God was in it, yeah. then all of a sudden they did. Now, Dad, when you started working with churches, you, you also had a little bit different approach. I, I saw back in those days... As a younger man then, I had like a full head of hair and pigment and everything. But uh, back in those days, I saw a lot of high visibility evangelists go down. They do these great big crusades and lots of people get saved. And then they kind of pack their show up and leave mm -hmm. town. But you really felt called as these churches began to trust you. You saw a group of young pastors that you decided to invest in. And I think your legacy in Honduras uh, is different than so many others because of that can you tell us a little bit about just a call to see indigenous pastors and equip them as opposed to you being the, the superstar? Okay. <clears throat> Mine is all about visions and dreams. I had a dream to get saved. I had the vision about the sun. But I had a vision one time because I've been in a lot of countries. But I had a vision one day, and I saw a rock fall down out of heaven, and it hit the water, and the ripples went around the world. And I believe mm -hmm. God spoke to my heart. The rock is Jesus and the water is Honduras, and I'm going to pour out my spirit. So I went down there, and I shared that with different people. Then a great man of God named Lester Summerall, Dr. Summerall, he was in, going to go to Honduras. So I went with because I've been with him to China and different places. And uh, he was doing Honduras. And I said, Doc, can I fit under your ministry? Because here's the vision I have. And he said, I will never come back to Honduras. I said, why? He said, I am here to share with the people that are hungry. He said, when the church in Honduras awakens to who it is in Christ, he'll send it through his church and not through outsiders. Well, I was listening to him so well and I missed my plane. And I could care less. I can always get another plane. And 
So I went on, because I had a good interpreter, and she got me on the TV and everything, and I went on TV and told them about my vision for Honduras, and the man of God, this prophet, said that it was true, and this is what I've got. If you believe that, I want to work with you. An old man had been training some young pastors, about five or six of them, and he'd been training these pastors, and he died. And they heard my vision. <clears throat> I said, if you believe that, I want to work with you. If you don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And so the one guy named Misael, he had a church of about 200 and what, I'd say he runs maybe 20,000 today. And so one day Shane said, Dad, I've never been in a bigger church than I pastor. I said, son, we grow corn, wheat, and soybeans in Illinois, and we split churches. But in Honduras, we grow churches. So Shane and, um, and uh, who else went with us? Ro uh, Roger Ross and, yeah. uh, and your mentor. Yeah, we, we had a big group of, of people go down. Jim Sloan and, uh, yeah, just a big group of pastors from just this conference. Pastors. Yeah. They said, so we went down and we would interview a pastor. He'd tell us about it. And then we'd take him to lunch. Then he'd teach in the afternoon. And so one night then, we were having a tremendous, we had a tremendous revival that Honduras is the only country in Central America that changed from Catholic to Protestant. Now, that's not just a church revival. That's a national revival. And so um, we, we met with the pastor and everything. And when we got back, he said, uh, oh, why do these pastors come to the United States to see us? He says, hey, you're growing. We're not. So we went to, we're also having a lot of murders. So we had an all-night prayer meeting. And Shane and the guys took them to the prayer meeting and everything. And uh, there were several thousand at the, at the meeting. And about midnight, they'd had enough. And I said, well, what do you guys think of this prayer meeting? And Shane says, I think it's kind of a blend between a rock concert, a political rally, and a prayer meeting. I said, now, which two don't you have, and why is it they're growing and you're not? So you remember that? I do. I do. I also remember this prophetess that was there, and she had, Mike, she had this big jar full of honey. <laughs> I mean, just full of honey. And it's kind of watered-down honey, so, I mean, it, it would sling a bit. And she just got her hand in this, <coughs> and she's just slinging honey everywhere. <laughs> and she walks up to me, and she just looks at me and says something in Spanish, and she just throws honey all over. And, and other people are saying, praise the Lord, and I, in Spanish, and I'm saying, and in English, you just ruined my shirt. <laughs> and, and so here Seriously. I got this, and then she walks up to me, gets a handful of honey, <laughs> and presses it against my face, like my mouth and my nose, just presses it against my, my face. And, and I remember just thinking, terrible. And then I kind of heard God speak, and, and, and God just kind of spoke to my heart. Just shut up and get anointed. Mm -hmm. And so how many times in life we don't understand what God's doing? Yeah, it, it may not be the way we would do it. It may not make a lick of sense to us. But if you know God's moving, it's a good time to just shut up and get anointed. And a part of that whole trip that we went on was seeing God move at an exponentially greater level than any of us ever had before. And I think at the time, I took maybe the, the senior pastors of, let's say, six of the largest 15 churches in our conference. And I remember thinking on, on the way, if our plane goes down, there's going to be upward mobility for a <laughs> lot of young pastors, man. They're going to be getting some good yeah. churches out of this. Right. So... Go ahead, Fred. So the thing's been interesting to me. Any time that I've had a heart to go to a country, if I can find someone that's doing it, you always have to become an apprentice. You're never, you're never the guy. And so the places where I've gone that I've followed someone, yeah. I've been able to plant roots. But I wanted to go to Russia 
I didn't have anyone to go with me, all that kind of stuff, and I decided I'd go anyway. So I get to New York or wherever, and the plane can't land because there's a storm, da 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 And the next day I landed, and then I, the guy has my – I don't have a passport. I don't have a visa. Right. I don't have a ticket, and I still flew all the way to Moscow. Uh, and after I got to Moscow, probably would have been better off if I would have stayed home. But point is, when I didn't really come under the anointing of someone uh, – Nicaragua, I'm never going to be there again. El Salvador, I'm never. Yeah. Uh, you know, I can name all so, these countries. So in that season, when that's happening, what's going on? When someone says, I will apprentice under this person, when you said that, because obviously you're learning something, you're watching that mm -hmm. person. Is there something spiritual going on? Is this like uh, Elijah type of thing with Elisha? Yeah. Or what's going on in that? Is that just God saying, okay, now you un you're understanding my authority? And now I'm going to bless you. You know, what do you see going on when people who willingly say, uh, I will be an apprentice in this situation? Okay. Mardi Gras, we've taken people yes. there for the last 46 years. That's NGL. NGL. Yes. We, so we take them there. They're going to learn the basics, right? Yep. Study, prayer, fellowship, and witness. You're going to use the big question and so on. We take them there. You're going to do the basics now. As we get there, you're going to find one guy, he's been going into Nicaragua. Another guy's been going into Russia. we got some guys going into Cuba. When you hear them and they start telling their stories, because you're all meeting together, and when they start telling their stories, do you bear witness with that? If you remember David and, um, I mean, Jonathan and his armor bearer, and his armor bearer said, do whatever's in your heart because I'm with you, meaning I identify what you're going to do. So when you find out the Okies, there's a guy, some guys in, um, in Oklahoma, and there are singers and all that. So I took them to Honduras and told them about Honduras and everything. They were going to some other country. Well, they've gone now 40-some times. All they did was come under my thing of the, what I'd heard God saying. And once they got there, then they began, they were faithful. And then the next thing you know, they started hearing to go. And I didn't hear it go at that time. Now they have their own ministry. So our ministry is helping everyone to come into a place of sharing Christ. Yes. Then once you hear God, make sure that you follow someone that's hearing better than you are. Then as you apprentice unto them, then there comes a day. We got a guy in, in Nebraska, and he called me and he says, I, I've been going with this couple for years. But he said, I just really feel like that God's saying something different. I said, son, that's because you're now you've been on a journey, French uh, apprentice, a journeyman. Now, now start your own work. So we've had we've seen a lot of people start ministry yeah. when the word increases. Yeah. The disciples multiply. Well, Dad, one thing I really appreciate about your ministry is I've looked over the years. There's always been a humility on your part to pay your dues to fit under other people, yeah. to kind of swallow your own agenda, to fit under somebody else's vision until you have your own. But what I've seen from No Greater Love, it's become an incubator for people who will do what you did, who will humble themselves and fit under someone else's vision until they really develop their own. I know a lot of people have an agenda uh, disguised as a vision, but a vision is something that we really receive from God but it has to be uh, exercised in humility. you got to learn. you got to pay your dues uh, and, and before that, that comes into being. And I'm thinking about the dozens and dozens and dozens of ministries that have mm. spawned out of no greater love. And I think the reason that happened is because you yourself went through that process. Uh, 
what are some of the things you're, you're proud of? You're, you're at a point in life now. I mean, you're 80 years old, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're at a point in life when you flip over the back of your baseball card. You, you know, you've been playing a long time. God's done some really incredible things. What are some things you feel good about uh, in ministry as you look back over your life? With the revival in Honduras, yes, I shared my vision. And yes, I went on TV and I shared and these people did respond. I'm not saying I'm the only one that had a vision, but I did have a vision. And so Misael, who I'm the proudest of because he's one now has about 30,000. And when I met with him, um, he says, this guy that you know is not a man of God. And I thought, man, that's kind of a low blow. And I thought, hey, I know the leader of your association. I said, it's El Salvador, Torcidos, Varela, Hombre de Dios. This leader of your past association, is he a man of God? And he says, no. Do you ever juice up sides with a, a bat? And then... When you're on the top, you win. He said, he's not a man of God. He's, he's got the thing. I said, your guy, is he a man of God? He said, no. And I, <laughs> I was a winner. And I said, hey. <laughs> and from that moment, me, Sale, and I are friends. I said, now, look, I have the vision for Honduras. But I said, my goal is to put the gospel hands of faithful men. What's your vision? He said, I want to have a crusade in this big stadium. And I says, well, I think I'll help you. What do you need? He said, I'd like to have a million gospel tracks. I said, I'll bring them. And then he said, uh, so we, we did that. Boy, it's 40, 54 boxes. They weighed 44 pounds apiece. I'll tell you exactly what it was. So we finally got the tracks down there. Then we did that. And then he says, man, I'm really needing a bus. So we take him a bus. And I said, me sale. And so I went to the crusade, and I go give a testimony and everything. I says, I am here as Aaron and her to lift up the hands of the man of God, Misael Arhenyal. Okay? Then, then when we did that, I said, Misael, what happened to these people that accept Christ? He said, we put them automatically into a cell group. And that you go automatically, when you accept Christ, you go into a cell group. I said, Misael, who's training them? He said, I train all of them. I said, what do you got? He said, you mean that little bitty typewriter? He said, yes. I said, I'll go home and I'll bring you a printer, a fax machine, and, um, and a, a computer. He said, okay. So I went back home, got them and everything, and tried them out first. Sure enough, they didn't work. Yeah. Took those to Honduras, so that way we helped him with that. And so then every time Misael needed something, we did it. Yeah. Now, then he said that he, he wanted to start a TV station. I said, well, I, I do these TV stations back home, you know, do telethons. You've heard Shane tell some of my stories. But nevertheless, I do tell them. I said, I'll talk to them, see if they got some equipment they're not using, because we've got 11 stations. And uh, they said, yeah, we got some equipment. So I got all the equipment and everything. And I says, um, me and said, I've got equipment. And so a guy called me from New Orleans, and he says, we're here to pick it up. And I said, well, we're 600 miles north of that. So we take all the equipment. We find the guy's going to go fishing down on the Gulf. We send all the equipment down. Yeah. So I get to Honduras, and I go out to the TV station, and they says, Somebody from the United States sent us some equipment, and it wasn't even brand new. And I thought, they just outgrew me. So now I don't have to do this. So really, what my next thing is last is um, the guys that we put the gospel, that we trained down there and so on. And all of them have been taken hostage at least once. Um, But I want to go back and see them, and I want to take an interpreter with me that I can trust. And uh, it can't be a one from there because they can't tell the truth then. I want to find out how they made it through when they got taken hostage and what they've learned from it and what they'd recommend. You know, I mean, I just want to let them know that I prayed for them every Sunday for 20 years, 30 years, 40. And uh, I just want to know how they're doing. So that's my last thing, I think. Okay. 
Well, Fred, thank you so much. And it sounds like uh, whether you were underneath or whether you were ahead of things, uh, you wanted to build people up. Yes. You wanted to fulfill the vision of those who are above you and even those who are below you. So we really appreciate um, you. you you uh, joining us for these two episodes. Shane, you have any concluding thoughts before we uh, finish up this uh, episode? You know, as I've looked through uh, my dad's life, I, I saw many junctions where he could have chosen to, to be a whole lot more famous. He could have made this decision and received a lot more notoriety. He could have made this decision that would have turned into a, a lot of finances. What I always saw him do was be guided by a single mission, and his mission was to put the gospel in the hands of faithful men. And to the extent that he stayed true and right on bead with that, things went great. If, if ever you got off mission a little bit, things didn't go quite as well. <laughs> but what I learned from him was that God gives us a vision, God gives us a mission, and we need to just stay in the lane of that vision and stay in the lane of that mission because that's where God blesses us. Me as a pastor, I, I exist to connect people to Jesus. As long as I am proclaiming Jesus, I see the ministry go really well. If I get sidetracked on other kinds of issues, uh, I see it not go as well. And so one of the things that my dad taught me was simply stay true to who you are, work out of those values, and finally, put significance ahead of success. That's good. He, has, he has consistently chosen to invest in other people as opposed to leverage things for his own benefit. And that has been such an incredible blessing and such an incredible legacy. And I think when people, maybe 50 years from now, when they think of Fred Bishop, they may not think of Fred Bishop at all, but there may be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of ministries and people who are effectively serving Jesus because Fred Bishop said yes to Jesus Christ and stayed on mission throughout his life. For me, my dad is a testimony to choosing significance over success. And that is an incredible legacy and one I am proud to be a part of. A legacy of selflessness. Well, we want to thank Reverend Fred for joining us, and we are glad that you could join us as well for Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Thank you again for joining us, and make sure that you keep the change. Music